All right, let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. A very familiar passage to all of us. Mark 11, 22 to 24. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. You know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, I tried that, but it didn't work. You know, I tried this thing about speaking to the mountain and telling the mountain to move. The mountain didn't move. You know, or I know of so-and-so. He spoke to the mountain. The mountain didn't move. Or she spoke to the mountain and nothing happened. You hear these kinds of messages and really it only produces doubt in your heart rather than building up your faith in what God said. So when you hear these kinds of things, you've got to ask yourself some questions. Can aeroplanes fly? Yes or no? But do aeroplanes drop from the sky now and then? But can aeroplanes fly? Can ships float on the ocean? But do ships, some ships sink to the ocean floor? But can ships still float on the ocean? Now just because some aeroplanes drop from the sky or some ships get down to the ocean, we do not discard the laws. We do not discard the reality that aeroplanes do fly and ships do float on water just because there are accidents. In the same way, when you hear people say, you know, I tried having faith in God, it didn't work. I tried speaking to the mountain, the mountain didn't move. And all these things. When you hear these kinds of things, you need to go back to these verses and ask yourself the question, who said this? Who spoke it? Jesus. Would Jesus lie? No. So what is truth? What Jesus said. Therefore, I'm going to go with what Jesus said rather than what people's experience was. Because the truth will never change. What will change is our experience. We must lift up our experience to the level of truth. Not diminish truth to the level of our experience. Amen? The truth is this. Whoever therefore will say to the mountain, remove from here to there. And not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass. You will have what you say. That's the truth spoken by Jesus. Amen? You stick to the truth. Don't adjust your truth to accommodate somebody's experience. Let us lift up our experience to the level of the truth. Let's stand to our feet. I want you to say this out loud with me, loud and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. is our foundation text for this series. 
that we're doing on the seven spices. We're getting towards the end of the recipe. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let's read that passage again this morning. Peter writes, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just to quickly review. Peter gives us seven elements that we are supposed to add or develop to our Christian faith. You have faith in the Lord Jesus, you're born again, but you need to add these seven elements, add to your faith these seven things. And what we have been doing is studying each one of them, trying to understand uh, what these mean, how they apply to our lives, and so on. So we've talked about virtue or godly character, Knowledge or spiritual understanding, self-control or discipline, uh, perseverance or endurance, uh, godliness or uh, purity. And this morning we want to talk about brotherly kindness. Uh, or simply, we'll just, we'll just use the simple word kindness. And also to quickly review, what Peter is saying is this. He says, if you add these things to your faith, it will ensure that you will be fruitful in your Christian life. You've got to add them. You want to be fruitful in your walk with God. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Add these things to your faith. And he also tells, warns us, I think it's in verse 9. He says, if you lack these things, then two things result. You become like someone who is short-sighted even to the point of being blind. That means you are unable to see spiritual realities. Unable to understand what God is really doing. And he says... You become someone who might have the tendency to go back. You forget that you were cleansed from your old sins. And you might just tend to go back to your old ways. But then he says in verse 10. However, if you, are, if you add these things, you will ensure that you do not stumble in your walk with God. Your walk with God is stable, strong, and secure. So to add these seven elements to our Christian faith is very, very essential. Very, very important. And we need to work on these seven areas. This morning we are talking about kindness and uh, as with other uh, attributes, we saw, we see the Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and goodness. So this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you say, you know, I, uh, being kind, oh, well, that's, uh, that's not for me, you know. Leave that for the ladies. <laughs> you know, say, being kind is a fruit of the Spirit. Something that the Holy Spirit helps develop in our lives. And so we lean on Him. We depend on Him saying, Lord, help, help me develop this in my life. Let's read a, a couple of things that Peter wrote about kindness. And then this is talk about, you know, ways that we can express kindness. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, he's talking about kindness. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender hearted or be kind hearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil 
or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So he's saying, you know, brothers, I want you to be kind-hearted, be tender-hearted, be sensitive. And then he says, you know, don't repay evil for evil, but instead, when evil is done to you, respond by releasing a blessing. Release a blessing. Why? Because you are an inheritor of blessing. You have nothing to do with curses. You have nothing to do with unkindness. You inherit the blessing of God. So when there's evil done to you, respond by releasing a blessing, is what Peter says. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, And above all these things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable. Extend hospitality. And look across the congregation. I was in the south this morning and here uh, amongst us who uh, really are able to do this so well. They're hospitable. They will open up homes, open up their hearts, warm and friendly. And, you know, that's some area I need to work on myself. But it's so impressive to see people who are hospitable, who are, you know, just kind or able to do this. It's almost like spontaneously. It's spontaneous for them. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Romans 12, verse 6 onwards. Paul is writing, he says, Having then gifts, deferring according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, our ministry, let us use it on our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, next two words, with cheerfulness. So Paul is telling us, you know, we have people in the body who are graced by God, empowered by God in different areas. Some are leaders, some are teachers, some are ministers, some are uh, exhorters, some are, uh, you know, are givers to give money and all of that. And then he says there are some who are really empowered or graced by God to show mercy, show compassion, show extend kindness to people. But what I want to highlight is when he says, when you show mercy, he says, do it with cheerfulness. That's a challenge, isn't it? Sometimes. When you are showing kindness, he says, do it with cheerfulness. Do it gladly. Do the heart that's enthusiastic, that's, that's really eager to do what you're doing. Let's like read on a couple of more verses here from chapter 12 that show us different ways in which we can express kindness to one another, to, to people. Uh, verse 10, he says, uh, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Giving preference is another way of being kind. And the two of you want to do the same thing, so you go ahead, please. You know? Or you both pursue, you know, there's only one thing, you want to, uh, the two of you want it, well, give preference. Let the other person have it. Give preference to the other person. Is a way of us demonstrating love and kindness amongst ourselves. Verse 13. He says, distribute to the needs of the saints. Be given to hospitality. Give to the needs. You see a brother or sister in need. He says, distribute to the needs of the saints. Give into their lives. And he also says, be given to hospitality. Be generous in this, in extending hospitality. He continues in verse 14. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Resonating with what we read from Peter. When people do evil, respond with a blessing. Respond with something that's good. Verse 15. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Identify with others. Step into their need. You know, somebody's celebrating. Get in there. Celebrate with them. Somebody's going through a tough time. Get in there. Weep with them. These are different ways for us as a people to express kindness amongst ourselves. Go down to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. You know, so you're in, let's assume you're in your workplace and your colleagues are not treating you well. What does the Bible tell us? Repay no one evil for evil. They send you a nasty email, doesn't mean you send one back. No. Pause. Add to your faith kindness. Instead of sending evil back, he says release a blessing. Do something that brings a blessing into the situation rather than aggravating it. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verse 18. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peacefully with all. Yes, you, you cannot control the other person's actions. You cannot control the other person's response. But whatever is within your capacity, you do what you can to promote peace. Extend kindness in that situation. Verse 19 on, he says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So many different ways to express kindness. He says, if you find somebody who has been hurting you in need, step in there, do something good for them. If they are hungry, feed them. Meet their needs. Step in. Don't respond to evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Some other ways of expressing kindness, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, our words, Ephesians 4.29 onwards, our words are important in expressing kindness. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Ephesians 4.29. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? Just skip down to verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Our words are important. Our words express, can express kindness. And we need to be careful with our words. The way you speak, communicate kindness or the lack of it. And I think the biggest challenge, and all of us husbands and wives will say amen to this, the biggest challenge is in husband-wife relationships. And I'm amazed how, you know, during your courtship days, you say, hi, darling, bye, darling, you know, everything is darling, you know, and it probably lasts the first few years of marriage, and then after that, you know, the honey and the darling, and this is all disappeared now, you know. And like, wondering, and that's the real test of kindness, you know. Amy and I are still working on it, you know, so right. of learning to speak kindly, especially when you're so used to each other, and, you know, uh, the, you know, you don't pause to think, you know, I still need to say please. I still need to say thank you. Uh, I still need to say sorry. Uh, those, those simple words express kindness. And, and marriage, I think, is, is the greatest place where you can finish your schooling. <laughs> it kind of helps you finish. Learn these things in the context of marriage. And it's very really important there. Giving is another way of expressing kindness. Tell me the Philippians chapter 4. Giving. You know, Jesus told us in Acts 20 and verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
And here's the other aspect about giving, which I think is very interesting. In Philippians chapter 4, if you read verses 15 through 19, Paul says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of, of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So Paul is commending the Philippians. You know, you guys really have given to my life. Thank you so much. In verse 17 he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So there's something here that Paul is revealing to us about our giving. See, when you give financially, or when you give your time, you give your resources, you give into some other person, maybe a minister of God or somebody else. Here's what Paul says. He says, you know, when you give, it is a sweet-smelling aroma. It's a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. You may not have thought of that, but when you step out and give to somebody to help them, minister to them, It's actually something you're offering up to God. Amen? And the other thing he says is, he says, when you give, the fruit of your giving is credited to your account. It's almost like there is this spiritual economy, and you've got your bank account, so to speak, and every time you give to somebody, your time, your energy, your something you you give to somebody, the fruit of that is credited to your accounts. Amen? So understand that giving is a great way of expressing kindness But also that when you give, you are actually offering up something to the Lord. And then, of course, there are acts of service, ways to express, uh, through which we uh, uh, express our kindness. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, he says, you know, let us, Galatians 6, 9 and 10, let us not grow weary in while doing good. Sometimes you can get tired of doing good. You know, how long am I supposed to do this? How long am I supposed to fold the clothes, wash the dishes, man? So relax. Don't go weary in doing good. Why? For in due season, you will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Just do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Don't get tired of doing good. Do it. Show kindness through deeds, through acts. Of service, bless somebody by doing good to them. Kindness is so important. You see, you know, I, I kindness, you know, I, I, I like anointing, I like gifts of the spirit, I like prophecy. Kindness, you know, just leave it for those who are not so spiritual. No, 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 no. You need kindness, you need to add it to your faith. Why? Because it's one of those ingredients you need to make you strong, fruitful, and stable in your walk with God. Amen. Not exempt from it. We need it. All of us need it. Need to add kindness to our faith. And Hebrews 6.10 tells us that God does not forget our work of kindness. He doesn't forget your labor of love and the kindness you've shown to his people. He doesn't forget it. I want to take the remainder of our time to talk about some of the challenges that hinder the full expression of kindness in our worlds. You know, what holds us back from being kind? Uh, here are some things. I, mean, I know we could sit down and make a long list. But here are some things, you know, one top of my list is like, we're busy. 
we're all busy people, right? Somebody has a need and you're like, man, I've got to finish all this work. All this work uh, is on my table. How am I going to go and meet that need? How am I going to go and assist that person? I mean, we're all very busy people. And, and just the busyness of life sometimes holds us back from, you know, taking that extra step, from going the second mile, from being there for somebody in their moment of need. And then another thing that, especially for those of us who are engaged in Christian ministry, whatever level, it doesn't necessarily have to mean full-time ministry, but if you're just ministering to people, you know, whether you're leading a life group or doing something in, in, in Christian ministry, another challenge is the need to balance your public time and your private time and space. It's another big challenge. You know, how much time do I give to people? Anyway, I'm all the time just there for people speaking to their lives, giving, giving, giving. But I also need time to renew myself. And here are some thoughts I want to share with you. I'm not saying, you know, this is chapter and verse, but just some things that, that I find useful. Uh, the, the first thing that I, I tell myself is this, that I am not God. So I'm not responsible for meeting every need around me. You know, if I take upon myself the responsibility of meeting everybody's need, I will go to heaven in a hurry. <laughs> I'll just bear myself out. I just can't. Humanly, I can't. So I say, okay, you know, when there are all these needs, all these things around me, I have to tell myself, you know, I need to do what God wants me to do. I can't solve everybody's problems, meet everybody's need. I can coordinate the process for some, facilitate some, and some I can involve personally. But I can't solve everybody's problems, can't meet everybody's needs. The second thing I, I tell myself is this. Don't feel guilty about saying no. Because when you say no, you're not rejecting the individual. You're just saying no to the idea. So when a need is given, an invitation is given, something is given, and you say no, you're not rejecting the person. You're just saying no to the idea. And so let's say, you know, just a simple example. Last week, uh, somebody called and said, we want to come and meet you. We're from this Christian organization. And we want to come. I said, okay, fine. I'll give you half an hour, 2 to 2.30. Please come and meet. And after somebody calls back and says, you know, the leaders of our organization want to take you out for lunch. And this is a big organization, good leaders, wonderful. And I said, you know, lunch means it's like two hours. And I can't afford two hours next week. So are they important people? Yes. Are they good people? Yes. Uh, uh, do they mean well? Yes. But I still have to say no. I mean, it's, not be, no, it's not that I'm being unkind. It's not that I'm not being hospitable. It's just that I can't afford the time. So I say, sorry, uh, we'll, we'll have to do that some other time, but I can give you half an hour, 2 to 2.30, finish. So and there's, I don't feel guilty about it because I'm not rejecting them. I'm just saying no to the idea. That's it. So did you have to repent for not being hospitable? No. I just said no to the invitation not to them as individuals. They're great, good people, great people, etc. So you can say no without feeling guilty that you said no to, to something that, you know, that might have been a nice thing to do, a kind thing to do, etc. It's interesting in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 32, where uh, Jesus and his disciples are so busy ministering. And in that busyness, the disciples have just come back to Jesus and given him a report, you know, we've done all these wonderful things. And right behind them are still crowds of people waiting to be ministered to. And in the busyness of that, here's what you see Jesus saying. He says, come apart to a quiet place and rest a while. And they get into the cruise and they get off on a cruise. It's like, Jesus, that's not fair. Look at all the crowds of people. They've traveled all this distance to come and, and listen to you and wanting to be ministered. And here you're off with your 12 disciples out on a little cruise on the lake. What's it teaching you? Don't have to feel guilty getting some rest. Amen? 
Was Jesus being unkind? Was he being inhospitable to those people? Was he uh, being rude to them? I don't think so. He knew. How much time I spend in ministering to people, when do I need? And me and my team needs rest. There has to be a balance. And you can do that without feeling guilty. Amen? Another challenge that we face in expressing kindness, and many of you may have experienced this, is in the abuse of kindness. You know, you're kind to people. Uh, maybe they come to you. They, they tell you their story, their situation. You go out of your way to help them. Maybe give them some money. Maybe do good to them. And then later on you find out there's all just a big story. They've taken you for a ride or done something like that. And then that's when you feel hurt. You say, man, they just have totally abused my kindness and misused my kindness. And then when something like this happens two or three times, you kind of shut down. You get very suspicious of people who come to you for help or come to you for need. Is that true? Yes. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But what is, you know, it's interesting that Paul writes here in 2 Thessalonians, if you turn with me there to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's a situation that really took place even in the Thessalonian church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, he says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. So he says, you know, yeah, I understand that there, you know, among the body you will find people who are just, you know, abusing the kindness of others and taking advantage of it. But, brothers, you don't get tired of doing good. Just because, you know, you have these stray incidents of, of you know, people abusing kindness. and all, Don't get tired of doing good. Keep doing it. Keep extending kindness. And that's a challenge, especially you know, after you've gone through a couple of uh, incidents where people have misused your trust and your kindness. And all. Uh, it's a challenge. But Paul says, I know that there are such things, but brethren, don't go weary in doing good. Keep extending kindness. A fourth area of challenge, I'll just talk a few, about a few more and then close here, is kindness and practical issues. You know, and this, this is so true even in the workplace, for instance. Yeah, let's say somebody comes for a, they want a job. You know, whether we are interviewing for the church, whether we are interviewing for the, uh, the business, it's the same thing. And they say, you know, I really need a job. And, and, and you feel compassion. They say, you know, I'm a believer for 25 years. It adds to the resume, you know. <laughs> and uh, all that stuff. And, and, and you feel compassion on one side. You want to help this person. You want to give a job. But on the other hand, there is a practical reality. Does this person fit for that role? Does he wanted me to do, but he still didn't give me a job. Well, sorry. It's not being unkind. It's just that there is the balance of being kind and the practical reality of the situation. Now, you may have the same thing in your place. Let's say you're, you're, you're a team leader, you're a project manager, and you have people under you reporting to you. Now, uh, and you have to do the performance review. You know, you've got to assess them for the work they've done the last six months of the year. Now, with all your Christian love, you want to be kind. And yet, you've got to assess them correctly. Just because you're kind. I heard this message on kindness. You know, <laughs> Monday morning you go to work and anybody comes to review, you give them all good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> I'm being kind. You know? That's not... Because your responsibility is not just to give them, uh, you know, excellent, excellent, excellent in order that they can get a raise and they can be happy and etc. No, no, no. 
you have to assess them accurately. If they're weak in a certain area, you need to say you're weak. Right? So, I think as Christians, as believers, we struggle with this. The, the, the need to be kind and the practical realities of uh, engaging in the workplace or real life situations. And we must understand that in as much as we are called to be kind, you cannot compromise on what is required in that situation from you. Because of your place and responsibility as a team leader, project manager, boss, whatever you're doing. You can't compromise on it. Just in the name of kindness. You can't. So be kind, but be fair in what you're doing. Fair to the organization, to the individual, and to yourself. And the same thing in giving to the poor and needy. You know, when you're on the street and and these little kids come and knock on your window. It's like, okay, I know I want to help them. I can give them some money. But the other side is, what will they do with that money? Where will that money go? So you've got to ask yourself the question. By giving money to this little kid on the street, am I helping him? Or am I actually being instrumental in encouraging something he must not be doing? Tough choice. Your heart goes out with kindness and compassion, all that. But then there's the other reality of the situation. So you've got to process that and be convinced about what you want to do and how you're going to address that situation. The last thing I want to talk about, and we'll close with this, is uh, another area that we struggle, is the balance of worship and service. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, we have a very interesting passage. This is just before the crucifixion, uh, uh, before Jesus can be crucified. Uh, And in Matthew 26, uh, verses 6 through 13, Jesus comes into the house of Simon the leper. Apparently, this must have been the man who was cleansed, one of the people cleansed by Jesus. He comes in, his disciples are with him. And then here comes this lady with a box of very costly oil, fragrant oil, and uh, in an alabaster flask, and she breaks it and pours this fragrant oil on the head of Jesus. And uh, the disciples respond like this in verse 8. They say, why such a waste? And they begin a reason. They say, you know, if we had sold this little jar of oil, collected the money, and... uh, fed the poor, we would have helped so many poor people. Interesting. Another challenge that you and I face. Do I break my alabaster box on the head of Jesus? Or do I go sell it and use the money to serve the poor? What's the right thing to do? Let's take a vote. (laughs) What was Jesus' response? He said, you know, the poor you always have with you. Meaning, the poor will always be there and you must respond to their need. You must go. I mean, Jesus was the one who told us, you know, you feed the hungry and clothe the naked and told the rich man, go and sell all that you have, give to the poor. So the poor are always there. The needs are always there. You must meet that need. You must address it. Poor are always there. Meet that need. But this woman, she has anointed me in preparation for the cross. Now, I don't think Jesus was meaning to say that, you know, you know I'm going to the cross. I've got my best suit on. That's not the point. And he didn't need that oil to go to that cross, so to speak. Anyway, it was going to be a very, very painful, bloody situation there on the cross. And so it was not about the oil, but I think more it was about the heart of worship this woman brought at that moment. That she would take this, anoint Jesus, waste the most precious thing she had on Jesus. So I believe... There is, and we struggle with this, and I believe here is the balance. That both these go hand in hand. Wasting our alabaster box on Jesus as an act of worship. And also going out 
and meeting the needs of the poor. They are both important parts of the Christian life. You can't have one without the other. The poor are always there. You will have chance to take care of them and you need to take care of them. But there are also times in your life you need to come and break your alabaster box on Jesus without feeling guilty that you could have used it on the poor. And I know we all struggle with that. And I, I, I can just be honest with you. At this church camp, I was, I was preaching and I said, God, I'm preaching to the same people. They've heard thousand sermons. And in my mind, I'm thinking of all the, you know, the people outside who've never heard a single sermon about Jesus. I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, we all enjoy the church camp. I'm not putting a damper on the church camp. But this was the thought going through my mind at the church camp. I said, God, you know, these are all wonderful people. I have preached to them. They've heard everything they need to hear. And God, I'd rather be outside preaching to the people who haven't heard. But then, here's the thing. What I felt the Lord say is, if you equip these people, they will affect the world. So it's worth it. Amen? So sometimes I get tired of preaching to the same people. Huh? <laughs> because like, God, I've you know, preached and preached and preached and same. No, but if you equip these people, you're multiplying the impact on the world. And please come back next Sunday. You know? but, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, these thoughts do go through my mind. God, you know, we're always doing the same thing, worship. How about the needs outside? How about, you know, the people who never heard? And how about the people on the street, you know, who, who've never even understood the basic thing of what Christ has done for them? Heart goes out for that. But then we must equip the people of God so that through the people of God, we affect the city. Amen? So the struggle is there. Do I break my alabaster box on Jesus or do I sell it and give it to the poor? There is nothing wrong you bring your alabaster box on Jesus and break it. That's your act of worship. The poor will always be there. You meet their needs. Balance both. Acts of kindness to meet the needs of people and your heart of worship towards God. You can't live without, you know, you can't leave out either. You've got to have it. But the point I want to say is this, don't feel bad about breaking your alabaster box on the head of Jesus. He doesn't think it's wrong. He receives it. Give him your best when you worship him. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to close. I want to take a moment just to pray about kindness in our own lives. And I know all of us will do good by just increasing in this area of our lives. Peter says, if you have these and abound. You say, I already have kindness in my life. I'm a very kind person. I never say a harsh word. Never do a harsh deed. Wonderful. You have these and abound. Meaning, keep increasing in this in your life. So I believe you and I can pray about that. And just say, Lord, I want to increase in kindness. Instead of repaying evil for evil, I release a blessing. Instead of overcoming evil with evil, I'll overcome evil with good. I'll be hospitable. I'll speak kind words. I will give even more liberally. And I will do acts of kindness. Get into other people's lives and help them. Could we just take a moment to pray for ourselves? If this morning you're standing here and you have a situation where you're struggling with what people are doing to you. They're being unkind to you, unfair, ill-treating you. Would you pray this morning and say, God, give me grace to release a blessing into this situation. Give me grace to be kind, even in this situation. Father, we just stand before you and we ask that by your Spirit, you'll help us increase in kindness in our lives and the way we demonstrate it and express it to people. Touch us, Lord, by your spirit and help us to do that. And we thank you, Father, for doing this. 
We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.